This is the Organizational Health Advantage Podcast with Keith Hadley and James Felton, Principal Consultants at Table Group. They're in the business of coaching leaders to build strategic focus and cultural alignment that leads to amazing results. This podcast is for leaders who are looking to increase productivity and morale while decreasing politics, confusion, and unwanted turnover. Welcome to the Org Health Advantage. Hello there, and welcome back to the Org Health Advantage, where it's our job to dissect world-class leadership across different industries and settings. We'll be chatting with John Brady, one of our favorite clients. He's the president of Midtown Athletic, which has eight very high-end fitness centers in the Midwest and East Coast. We'll be discussing John's evolution as a leader, why he decided to shrink his leadership team by two-thirds, why he feels it's so important to identify and clearly communicate what's important strategically and culturally within an organization, and why he's so glad he did this work prior to 2020. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with Keith, John, and myself. Welcome, Keith. It's good to have you. Thanks, James. Always great to be on this podcast with you. It's good to have you on again. We are with our client, John Brady, who is the president of Midtown Athletic. And uh, we've spent a lot of time with John, working with him and his team and helping them, but also like, you know, phone calls, coaching calls, where we talk about a wide range of things. So we're just, we've been talking about having John on for a long time. And uh, it's good to have you on, John. Welcome. Well, thanks, James. And uh, and Keith, it's really good to be here. And uh, hopefully I can... Uh, impart some some knowledge and some wisdom and uh, and help other people and uh, certainly the way that you guys have uh, have helped me and, and helped us um, craft uh, midtown athletic clubs over the last uh, two years at least it's been it's been phenomenal so looking yeah. forward to it it's been a lot of fun for us too and uh, as we've gotten to know you and your team and and a lot of people within your organization we've we've really enjoyed that time with you clearly, if you're listening, you picked up on the great accent that John has. John is from New Zealand. And just a little background on, you know, you started out basically running a rugby club. I'm going to have a lot of people on this podcast and none of them will have that background. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> true. It is a little unique, I guess. Um, in fact, before that, I, I started out teaching physical education and mathematics. So I came out of university with an education degree. Um, and I taught um, eight, nine, and 10-year-olds, which some would say is very similar to running a business. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, and, and making sure that, uh, that we were, you know, controlling the, the chaos in a classroom. So um, I went on from there to, to run a professional rugby organization. So I was a CEO of Bay of Plenty Rugby in New Zealand, and uh, which is a, um, you know, it's, it's one of the, I think it's probably the fifth or sixth largest in terms of player numbers in New Zealand, uh, in terms of re- regions or areas, um, and um, but had never, you know, really hit the heights of of what it um, could achieve due to a lot of uh, politics and infighting, and um, it's a very large the well in New Zealand terms, it's a it's a large geographical area. It spreads over a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of land in New Zealand terms, but um, it is uh, it was a, it was an excellent um, experience and exposure for somebody coming into a, a very different environment in terms of uh, leadership perspective. John, one thing I learned in talking to you about that experience is. Uh, in the U.S., when we think of a professional sports team, it's it's a very different model than what your rugby organization was. It was a top to bottom from yeah. youth sports all the way up to professional competition. That's right. Just give it, us it, like a perspective on that. Yeah, sure. So if you could imagine um, the Chicago Bears, let's take them. I mean, I'm based in Chicago. So take a professional football organization. They have a professional team. Um in New Zealand, we had a professional team that was uh, from our region, so it was was the the region of Bay of Plenty, which is a, akin to a state, so Illinois. Um, but we also had a development team underneath them, a B team, if you will, that we ran as a semi professional team with a lot of development players and, and players that were up and coming. So we had a, a team there and all the coaches and, and everything that was assigned to that team. We also had a women's semi professional team. Um, so women's rugby is, is fairly big. So that 
fed into our organization. Um, and then below that, we had representative teams. So you would represent um, the state uh, or you know the, the organization uh, from under 18 down to under 12, so you 12 uh, so kids. And we had under our remit all of the um, age group teams down to um, down to uh, small blacks, which is uh, four and five year olds playing. So it's when we first organised rugby in New Zealand, it's organised rugby uh, from a four year old level, and and the, the games and the tournaments and the uh, every Saturday morning, um, and we would organise them within our region uh, for all age groups uh, up to and including our professional team. So. Uh, adult clubs so we had uh, 28 clubs that fed into the professional team so all these all this um all these tiers underneath the professional team all fed players are all designed to develop and coach and feed players through to that professional team which would then play in our in our national competition so and i was the ceo of that organization so it was very far-reaching and very down deep into the community um, of New Zealand and, and community rugby clubs in New Zealand are the heart and soul of lots of small towns in New Zealand. It's, ama it's amazing because uh, the, the, the context there is like if if the Chicago Bears is responsible for not only all the local colleges but all the Papa Warner leagues all the way down to the five-year-olds that are interested in football but it, it you know it it helps me understand your perspective on you have to grow talent from within. Yeah, you're not absolutely. you're not recruiting the best players from other states. You're you no, literally are finding and developing. And yeah, you're finding kids and developing them right from a from a very young age. You know, our, our, our de development pathway is actually, um, in fact, we got you know we initially, historically in New Zealand, it was always around high schools. So it was always focused on high school kids. Um, the problem we had at Bay of Plenty because we weren't one of the big um, five. Um, provincial centers we were one of the big cities um, so to speak is that we had by the time the kids got to high school they were already targeted by other the five the top five teams so you can imagine if, if it is a kid playing high school in illinois and the bears had not tagged him tapped him up and already got him on some sort of development contract the new england patriots boo hiss would fly in and grab him and take him <laughs> back to the belichick way it's sort of a little like that and so we we got really smart at identifying talent down at the 11 and 12 year old age group which mm. was you know it was at some point it gets it was deemed a little early and a little heavy-handed but it was the only way we could compete was by you know and it wasn't about payments or you know, contracts or anything like that it was about winning hearts and minds it was about here's our program for your son or your daughter and playing you know growing through this the sport and and we think they've got the um they're showing the skill set and the the desire to want to be better players and we would every at every stage we would make sure that they had the you know the tracksuit the jacket the bag the backpack whatever it was that made them feel proud and made them feel a part of something and, made, and, and it's that community connecting that community to the overall professional team brand you know and thinking about it you know the chicago bears have got a lot to learn the NFL's got a lot to learn about growing, <laughs> you know, growing players and developing them. Uh, but that's what we had to do to compete. And in fact, you know, one of my favorite books at the time was, you know, Small is the New Big. I don't know if you guys have read that, but mm. uh, the book called Small is the New Big. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a business book, really. But it was for us, it was how do we take advantage? How, how do we find our advantages? You know, we're not one of the biggest players in the field. We're not one of the, you know, the, we're not one of the biggest competitors, but we have an inherent advantages being, being able to be nimble and being able to adjust quickly. Yeah. And being able to focus on, you know, what is it that we are truly good at, that we can truly be best in class at. Um, and for us, it was really, you know, well, we have, we, you know, we see these kids on the field at, 11, 12, 13 year olds, we, we, you know, we can, with a bit of, you know, human resource devoted to going out and standing on a side of a muddy rugby field in the middle of winter with, you know, with a clipboard, we can figure out, you know, pretty quickly who these kids are and how, how far they, we think they could go. Yeah. And then we, it's just, it's about, you know, being human and standing in front of people and, you know, and in many presentations to, um, rugby clubs um, where we, we would sit there and say, well, look, this is 
you know, you want us to give you development money. That'd yeah. be great if I had a whole lot of development money. I just don't have it. You know, we have to do this. We have to be, you know, this is, this is you know, hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. We're getting out here and I'm telling you, this is the development plan and this is what we're trying to do and I need your help and your volunteers. So I get it. You can choose not to do it. But if you truly believe in what we're trying to do and you believe that, that the sport helps develop kids for future life and, and helps create people who can be good teammates and, and good leaders and not just in the rugby field but in the greater community, then this is all about our community. Where this is Think about this as community development, not rugby development. Yeah. And so we sort of sold it in based on that, which it was, was what we had to do to compete. Um, yeah, that's and so by the cool. time, you know, after my my, I was there for about five and a half years. In my last year, we 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 won the na- national championship and the Ranfurly Shield, which is equivalent of the NFL for the first time ever. Oh my gosh, that's that so cool! It's a, a lot of homegrown players. That uh, you know, I I knew about this uh, experience that you had, and you talk so fondly of it, and I I, I know why. What I hadn't connected the dots on is, you know, you go from this to then being a, a leader in different fitness companies, mm-hmm. you know, regional director, COO, and now president of different companies. And that experience with the rugby club seems like a really good experience for someone who has to run different locations. You know, you're not you're not in a specific location just running that club. You're running multiple locations in multiple cities, almost like running multiple programs in the in the rugby field. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was really um, great ex- exposure to that, and it was um, it had its ups and downs as, as all roles do and all challenges do. Um, but the key part was identifying what are the what are the key levers we can pull. Yeah. What are mm-hmm. the key influences? Who are the key influences we need on yeah. the side to make sure that we get our um, our program running and 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 identifying who those people are who can you know who've got your back and who can support you um, to make sure that 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 your vision gets delivered at the hyper local level. You know that yeah. means when we we talk about a health and fitness company um, now we have clubs all over the country. It's identifying who are those people within that those teams who believe deeply in, in what your purpose is and believe that we're you know that the the core values and the purpose that we um, set out to try and achieve matter. It's amazing as I'm listening to you, John, seeing seeing how naturally all these things flowed into the role that you're in now that we've experienced you in. It's like just the, these are like core leadership philosophies. Uh, Folks in in Chicago know Midtown Athletic Club, but people Mm -hmm. listening outside of Chicago don't. Maybe just take a minute and just give us like a couple of quick headlines on who is Midtown Athletic Club. Sure. Um, So Midtown Athletic Club is, uh, we have eight um, locations across the United States and Canada. They're all large premium end health club or sports resorts, we like to call them. Um, they are full service, um, very high end luxury um, sports resorts um, with you know, everything from retail um, stores to uh, restaurants, hotels, um, swimming pools, indoor and outdoor pools, uh, all the fitness studios and things that you would imagine a, a high end um, luxury health club would have um, and really you know we've had them described as a uh, you know which i think is an interesting description as a, a cruise ship that just mm-hmm. doesn't move doesn't leave dock but you can go on board and you you know you can go on and you can do everything that you would want to do from a health and wellness perspective um and it's you know it's totally cashless it's it's you, you use your uh, your credential, your wristband, which we, you know, we all members get, and it's connected to your credit card, and you literally buy a coffee with it, or you have a three-course dinner with it, or you pay for personal training with it, or a massage, or you buy something in the store, or pay for your kids' tennis lessons, or swimming lessons, or whatever it is you want to do, um, all within that um, within that facility, and you know, it's a 
they're, they're big facilities. They range from a couple of hundred thousand square feet as our smallest to nearly 700,000 square feet at our flagship club in Chicago. You know, when you talk about the sports resort and um, high-end premium luxury, you're right. And I, you know, it, knowing the knowing the club so well, you know, at least the one in Chicago that Keith and I have done a lot of work with you at, I go back to the first time I talked to you and I said, you know, John, I, I belong to a really nice club. I won't mention it, but it's nationwide. Um, I, I would imagine your club is like this. And I just remember you saying, no, we're a couple of steps above that one. And, and I'm like, okay, okay, like patting yourself on the back. And then we went to that club and I'm like, oh, I think it's like three or four steps above that. And I'm playing, I'm paying a, a boatload of money to be at my club. I'm like, oh my gosh, this really is a sports resort. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the, the interesting part about it is it's it's been it's been an evolution. You know, Midtown started in, as a company in 1970, so we're 50 years old. Yeah, um, it's been a 50 year evolution. We started out as a tennis club, yeah. um, a single tennis club in downtown Chicago. Uh, it was the largest indoor tennis club in the world at the time it was built. Um, had 18 indoor tennis courts, and you know would play host you know to the world's best tennis players. Arthur Ashe played there, Martina Navratilova played there, Andre Agassi played there, John McEnroe. It's just a, a who's who of tennis, really. Um, and, um, you know, we were constantly evolving the tennis experience. Um, you know, uh, Billie Jean King said, you know, that Midtown is the standard that all tennis clubs worldwide need to be measured against. Um, wow. and, and, you know, and she's played tennis her whole life all over the world. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, it was because we kept looking to improve. Yeah. It was, it was in our DNA, it, it, you know, tennis was our DNA, but really there wasn't tennis. It was really about constant improvement and, and looking to evolve and, and never settle for second place in anything. And so when, um, we added fitness, you know, in the, in the eighties when fitness was a, you know, coming, becoming more of a popular uh, thing to do outside of just a, you know, spit and sawdust gymnasium. It was really, we decided that we, we had to add and do it well. And we've continued to do that. So the, the new evolution, the sports resort evolution, which came to being in 2017 and, and with the opening of Midtown Chicago or the reopening of Midtown Chicago, the flagship club there, um, had started about four years earlier, four and when I started, so I was brought on board to help drive that um, accountability and performance so that we felt comfortable spending the amount of money we wanted to to take this industry to the next level. Yeah. Uh, and, and we started looking at the boutique studios that were cropping up at that time all over the world, uh, not just here in the US. Um, we, you know, we traveled extensively to go and see new concepts and, and, and meet with people and understand why they people were flocking to these studios and, and why they were uh, considering them, why there was a perception that they were better than what you could get in a, uh, in a traditional health club who had studios as well. Um, and then when you looked at the studios, you, you walked into a, to a, a boutique studio, which is only about one experience. It's a singular experience. It's hyper-focused and hyper-focused on delivering that experience to that community yeah and um you know in, in lots of ways um it you know it, it was reminiscent to me of walking into some of those rugby clubs and just you know, you know let's get hyper local here what is it that we can do to improve your community what is it how can we use rugby to improve your community and and develop it and so they got very good at being very specific and very targeted the downside is, you know, it's it's one modality of exercise. You, you know, yeah. so you're doing one thing over and over again. Doesn't yeah. matter, you know, how good it is. It is only one thing. And so we looked at that. And thought, well, what if we could package some of these experiences and deliver this experience with these rock star instructors and teachers um, into our new concept, the sports resort, which we felt was. Um, would elevate the market and set us on a very different path from the rest of the industry. Um, so that's really what we did. We really looked at the what was happening in the industry around us. How do we utilize that? How do we how do we lean in 
and take advantage of that. And, and we just, we went out and we asked a lot of questions. We asked a lot of dumb questions and we learned a lot and, um, and we came back and we packaged it. Um, and we decided that if we were going to package this, the good thing about boutique studios is they were charging a lot of money. Yeah. You know, if you go and, and do one class at a boutique, it's like 30 to $35 a class. Yeah. You, know, you you can buy a whole health club membership for that in some clip, some places, um, and so we figured that you know people are paying, they're doing if they're doing one class or two classes a week, there's an opportunity for us here to set our brand and our market at the two hundred dollar plus point, yeah. and throw it all into one, yeah, you know one facility, yeah. But yeah. you know the the pressure comes at that point to say now you got to deliver. You, you can, yeah. it's easy to build it. I mean it's expensive but it's easy to build. That's the easy part. The yeah. hard part is delivering those experiences, crafting those experiences, and making sure you consistently hold people to those standards. And that's the tough part. Well, and and the last little, I mean, it's not a plug. It, the, these, this is true about who you are and, and the, you know, the, the resort style locations, but that hotel at the location in Chicago is one of my favorite hotels. And I travel all around the country and go to some really nice hotels. And I mean, that is a really, really nice hotel. And here we are talking about health clubs, but you've got a great piece of property there with that hotel as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think the hotel is a differentiator for us in lots yeah. of ways. Um, you know, it changes the business from being a health club to being a hospitality location yeah. or an entertainment location even. Um, and um, and I think that, you know, it's something that we've, we were toying with for, you know, probably a good year before we committed to it. Um, we did a bit of research on the hotel market in Chicago, obviously. I think, um, I think actually the Chicago hotel market is one of the, uh, has one of the largest number of beds anywhere in the world. Uh, oh, wow. For, for, as a city, as one of the major cities. Yeah, it's huge. Um, and so it was like a question for us, you know, is, do we, are we dipping our toe into waters that we're going to get eaten um, pretty quickly? But, um, but, we, but we, what we did love is, you know, we loved seeing the opportunity because it's incremental revenue in some ways, you know, we, we already have a reception desk. We already have a front desk. We already have housekeepers, cleaners. Right. We already have facilities teams. You know, we already, we already look after a big building. Um, and so it was, a for us, it was a fairly logical extension of that. We thought our margins would be pretty good. And we have a captive in some cases audience that we can communicate to a market to and, and a number of, when you're at the high price point, in, in a market, a number of those people are going to be traveling for work or have businesses that have people traveling into Chicago for work. Absolutely. So it was, um, we felt that there was a, a risk worth taking and it's paid off in spades. It's been oh, very, very successful. That's great. Yeah, it's really nice. So I want to go into the work that you did prior to COVID. We'll get into COVID, but I, I would think that work really, um, ended up being more useful than you even thought as you went in, as as we went into covid i mean I, I you've said a lot of great things about this work before but you know this mastering the four disciplines of organizational health that we did with you and and helped you with in your team just talk first about identifying the team and building them up and then you know that high level strategy around answering those six critical questions, but any of that, talk about what you did before COVID happened and how you evolved your leadership, the leadership of the team and, and so on. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, it's a journey that I think a lot of people go through in terms of leaderships as you, as you develop and as you learn and, 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 and as you adapt to um, what the team's needs are. And, and, and really, I don't think I'm any different from any other leader and you Try and take on too much, you know, and in terms of management responsibilities and, and your direct line reports and things like that, because you want to stay in touch with everything and you want to have your fingers on everything. And, and you've got this vision and you've got this passion and drive for what you do. And so it's natural that you want to be involved in everything. Um, and at the time when, you know, we were just opening Midtown Chicago, the, 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 the flagship club, and we'd been through everything. I think I had um, 18 direct reports. Um, and, you know, in, in hindsight, it seems, sounds ridiculous saying it, but at the time, I thought I was doing it 
well. You know, I, I really thought that I had this under control. <laughs> Little did I know, I was just driving everyone nuts. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was, it, it, I, I had um, general managers reporting into me in, a, in a all of our locations. I had uh, national directors of tennis and fitness and food and beverage and sales and, um, you know, marketing and, and marketing team people. IT, finance, everybody was, literally everyone reports to me, um, which I thought was, you know, the thing to do. You know, I thought, oh, that's good. Everyone's a direct line of me. It's a flat structure. You know, you talk about this flat organization, blah, blah, blah. Um, little did I know I wasn't giving anyone any benefit of my time or my expertise or my thoughts or, or anything. You know, I was doing, literally, I was putting out fires and I was, um, you know, just joining meetings to say I was in a meeting. And you know, I met with Keith at one point because it got so it got so bad. I had to reach out to somebody. <laughs> so it happened to be Keith. Um, I reached out actually to the table group, and um, because I was reading, I, I read Pat's book on the plane. I, I, I'd read Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and I'd read um, the, the employee engagement, and, and I, you know, I, I'd, I'd picked them up in the airport when I saw them, and I'd read them on the plane. And I, and I used to like them because I could do it on a plane ride. I could right. read them on a plane yeah. ride and then I could sort of make notes in it and I could read it on the way back. And by the end time I got home again, I thought I had a pretty good handle on stuff. Um, <laughs> and, and at one point I just, you know, when we were, we were launching Chicago, I just sat down and said, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't feel like, I don't feel I'm contributing. I don't feel I'm being, I don't feel I'm being a good leader. I don't feel I'm, you know, just, I'm just not adding any value. You know, I'm being here, but I'm just—I feel like I'm a hamster on a, on a in a cage or on one of those running wheel things. And um, and I didn't know who to reach out to. I didn't know who to talk to. I'd read all the books. You know, I'd, I'd read—I got more business books in my library than you know you can shake a stick at. I could start a library here. <laughs> um, I'd read them all, and and nothing was giving me clarity. Nothing was giving me. Nothing spoke to me. And I went back. I spoke to people that I'd worked with in the past about. You know, what did we do well? What did I do well? What am I good at? What am I not good at? Um, and it, I was sitting on a plane. It was a run. We were leaving Chicago, and, and I picked up um, one of Pat's books at the um, at the airport. And I was sitting on the was runway. The was, like, was that the one you saw? It was the, it was yeah. the advantage. Yeah. yeah. It just yeah. came out. It was brand new. It just came out. And I, so I sat there on the runway, and I had extra time because we were delayed for an hour on the runway. So I was sitting there, and I read it. I managed to read it twice before we took off, pretty much. Um, and um, and I got to I got to our destination. I think I was flying to Florida. I think a club down in Florida. And I, I got there and I scribbled notes all over this book. Um, and I'd written on. I'd looked at the back page, and it had you know consulting services by the table. And I'd never thought about it before. I thought you know. He's this author, Pat, blah, blah, blah. I don't, you know, I didn't think much about it. You know, Jim Collins doesn't have a, you know, a phone number that you can call <laughs> at the back of good to great. You know, there's no, I looked for it. Uh, it's not there. So, um, you know, I, so I thought, oh, I've got nothing to lose. I'll, I'll give him a call. So I rang the office and, and they, uh, they connected me with Keith. And I think that, by the end of that week, Keith was in uh, Midtown office's corporate office at the whiteboard, looking at me like I was insane, um, <laughs> and, and hope, and thankfully, pointing me in a, in a new direction. And um, you know, I think Keith, I think your words were, you know, you don't have a um, what was you say? You don't have a you don't have a uh, metrics problem. I think you have problem. an alignment problem. You have an alignment problem. You have a metrics yeah. problem. You have more metrics that you know what to do with. <laughs> um, yeah, you can measure everything, but you have an alignment problem. Uh, and, and, and I remember saying, I think the team is a little big. And I remember you, <laughs> you just kind of dropped your head on the table and it's like, yes, okay. <laughs> yeah, guilty as charged, yeah. Your Honor. You know? um, and so, wait, so that was that was part of the process. What I, what I was going to say is like, John, there's like two words that come to mind, three words. You've already used one to describe yourself. The one is passion. You are absolutely passionate about what you do. But the other two words that come to mind is you are so open. You're an open book, but you are just so open to new ideas, to learning. And, and just the tremendous courage, that's the third word, that you then embarked into, you know, 
what would be sort of a, a new chapter. Uh, but you know, to kind of address that team of 18, that, that was not an easy thing to do. It was not easy. So that was, that was the first big challenge was really identifying, you know, in fact, identifying the, the team one wasn't the hardest part. It's the communication afterwards. It's the follow up to that. And, um, and, you know, I think that, you know, when you've got people who have worked with you and for you for a long time, and some of those people have worked with me for a number of years, and in fact, some of them have followed me from previous companies, um, it, it, and then to be able to have to tell them that, look, we're well, changing the structure of the organization. Um, you're not going to report directly to me anymore, and you're going to have to report into this other person. Um, was a big shock. It was a big culture shock as much as anything else because I, I had built this organization myself. I built it from the ground up um, to be a flat structure, believing that it meant that I was closer to everything going on, and I could, you know, therefore keep everything aligned but you know little did i know that you know i was doing the opposite in lots of cases i wasn't letting people flourish and i wasn't it wasn't an alignment because everybody stopped because every, i was the bottleneck mm-hmm. um and so um, so having the communication with people about look this is the structure we're going to take we're going to have an executive team of six um and um Everybody is going to organize into those six functions, and we're going to, you know, we're going to feed people through that funnel, and uh, and, we'll, and we'll figure that out as we go a little bit. But you know, you have to bear with me, and this is you know, it's going to be a journey, it's going to be an evolution, um, and I'm asking for your, you know, blessing really, uh, you know, asking for your help in making this work, and also your help in understanding why I need to do this. And, and it, that explanation around why was really important. The, the reality is like you really lived out that principle of like the solution today will become the problem of tomorrow. And so, you know, as you grew, as you scaled, like having all these direct reports made a lot of sense, but it, it, then the business just scaled beyond that. And I think one of the things that we talked about that I remember being a big lift was that you just, you never had time to think about strategy anymore. You were just right. going from fire to fire to fire to fire, meeting to meeting, yeah. meeting to meeting, and it was like, when can you're such a strategic thinker, and you're 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 always way out on the horizon in your thoughts, but you just didn't have, you didn't have bandwidth to do that, and so it it, it was that yeah it it was that structure became the bottleneck because you know you you were at the center of the organization, and you needed a team at the center of the organization. And so many leaders struggle with that. That is that is one of the most common conversations that we get into with leaders is the makeup of the team. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's I think that is crucial to understand that you get to a point, it happens over time. It gets to a point and you and you can't even recognize it because you're in the weeds or you you know, it's like you're in the forest and you can't see the trees. You're just right there. And so um, to be able to take a step back and a step out. Um, so you can think about the, the direction and, and you can think about who you want on your team delivering, you know, for you. Um, and you provide the, you know, the, the guide rails. You know, if you think about it from a, a bowling analogy, you know, your temp and bowling is I'm the guide rails. I'm sticking the yeah. guide rails up and, you know, ball's not going in the gutter. And we ain't there are no gutter balls here. <laughs> so we just keep it. Keep aiming for those pins, and, and you know sometimes we'll hit them dead center, and sometimes we won't. But at least we're not going to get any gutter balls. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the ability to step back is really hard, and it yeah. takes does take courage, and, and yeah. those conversations takes courage, and um, and they don't all go the way you want them to go. I mean, and, and some people I expected to take it really well didn't take it well at all. Um, you know, and you know, you know, some people took it, you know stoically some people took it defensively and some people took it aggressively and 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 it wasn't the people i would have expected in mm. some in some cases or a lot of cases but i remember jay i, I can't remember keith said to me it, when i called him after that first meeting i said look I've, I, I we had a run in the room i talked about it i explained the why and what we we're doing the structure um and and this is what happened and i got attacked from a couple of people i got like really negative <laughs> feedback and really pushback and and he said, well, what did you expect him to stand up and applause? <laughs> <laughs> what did you expect to happen? I'm like, 
yeah, that's exactly what I expected to have. I want this innovation. I was like, oh my god, you're changing these people's lives, and uh, and and not all in a good way, and 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 it, it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. It's change, and so you know, people need time to you know assimilate and to adapt to a new reality, and and, and that never goes smoothly, um, and certainly doesn't go with a standing ovation. Yeah. You know, I want to I want to double click on that real quick, John, because uh, as Keith mentioned, you weren't an outlier having a big team. You know, um, no. Keith and I are working with a client right now where we're like kind of suggesting, hey, there's maybe a, a few people that um, don't need to be on here all the time or in these meetings all the time. But, John, how did you look at it? Because with this team, we kind of said, hey, leader, you want to think about those few people that you want to hear from, that you trust their opinion, even if it's different from yours to make the best decisions on most of the topics that come up. You know, certainly there are going to be some outliers where you might need to bring in this person within the company or this other person within the company. But to who's that group of people that will help you make decisions on most of the issues? Is that how you looked at it? Or how did you think about going from 18 to 6? Yeah, I mean, in some respects, it was fairly straightforward to start with, um, because we have a group of general managers at the clubs that operate those facilities, um, you know, that's a group. So I looked at it in terms of what are my groupings yeah. of people in, in some respects. Um, and I have a group of national directors, you know, national sales, national fitness, national tennis, national food and beverage. I have a group of national directors, national facilities director. Um, so I had two sort of distinct groups that I could identify. And then I had the other uh, corporate functions you know, marketing, sort of um, IT, finance, HR, those sort of things. Um, and so I sort of put them in buckets and said, okay, well, I, you know, I need, I can have somebody, if I have the general managers on team one, I can't have anybody else. <laughs> so, so it's like, okay, so I need a representative for them. So somebody, they have to report to somebody. Um, and that somebody is generally an operations director or a VP of operations in our, in our case. Yeah. And so that, has to be a person. So I just put a, you know, we did a, uh, a circle and I drew that little circle in my uh, my orbit and uh, and that had the eight general managers reporting into that person. So that took eight off the table straight away, I'm down to 10. Um, and, and then I looked at the national directors and said, okay, so if I have, these are like product specialists. So I have, I have a whole, I have a group of product specialists, um, which is really about our membership experience. So I had um, I, I did another little circle and said, well, this is membership experience person or product person. Um, that needs to be, that needs to be represented somehow. Otherwise, I'm, you know, otherwise they're all on my executive team and I don't have any more space for anyone else. And then it was really like, who else do I need who's influential in here? You know, I've got to have uh, our head of finance because, you know, CFO, uh, because I need to keep, the, obviously, the track of the finances pretty closely. Uh, we have a number of different investments and the different investment uh, um, businesses that we that we are involved with. Um, I needed talent. I needed a head of HR. Although at the time, I wasn't convinced that you know some of our people were the right people to put on this team, and so that was really some of the other challenges. So it was like I, I need to have somebody overseeing finance, IT, people. And marketing uh, and sales, um, and you know when you when you start crafting your team, sometimes the people that you have in those roles aren't strategic thinkers or aren't the people that you think should be on that team, and that makes it really hard because you have to then go to that person and say, "Look, not only do I not think you're a good fit for my executive leadership team, I think I need to replace you." Mm. You know, yeah, and so because what you're bringing to the table isn't at that level, and I need someone at that level who's a strategic thinker who's able to look at the business in its whole, you know, in its in the whole, yeah. not in its niche little area. And you have to be able to play nice in the sandbox with the other people on this team and understand that we have one goal, and it, and, it, and it's a core accountability that everyone has to hold true. And you just don't work that way. So, you know, it was really, a, a, it was a real challenge. It was really difficult. But that that was, to me, that was almost like an eye opener. It was like being, you know, in some cases I've been 
because I had 18 reports, I had everyone pigeonholed. Hmm. And because yeah. they would just stay in your silo, stay in your lane, do what you're good at, it was okay. But as soon as you ask them to take on a bigger role and a bigger responsibility, it, it, it highlighted weaknesses in those in, in a couple of those people um, and resulted in us having to make um, some changes at the you know, executive level with, with people who had been there for in the company for 20 plus years. What was interesting about that process, and you, you just you know you just walked through this that criteria of like you thought long and deep about the functional representation, but then you you thought about who's a strategic thinker, like whose whose advice would I value, and then you you thought about those values, you know who who are the people that are going to show up behaviorally the right way, and what was what I remember about that moment was <clears throat> how quickly you were able to identify the people that you invited to the team. They just stood out. Yeah. And then it was a process of inviting them up to that level. And, you know, what I get excited about when I think about Midtown is is some of the people that you elevated to that role and how they've just really risen to the occasion and have become stronger, better, more strategic, better example, yeah. better models, you know, because and I'm not sure they ever would have gotten there had you not created that that different structure. Yeah, I think creating the environment for them to operate within, I think, has been really crucial. I mean, elevating people within the organization has always been something that we've tried to do. You know, it goes back to my days in the rugby union. You know, you try to create development pathways. You try to get people yeah. to be better than themselves all the time. And so um, elevating people within the business was always one of my key aims. But, you know, we've, brought, we've also evolved that executive team over the past two years, two and a half years since we, we first worked together. The team isn't the same as it was when we first started. You know, we've yeah. had, you know, we've had a couple of people have opted out. We've had a somebody retire, and we've had a couple of people we've let go, uh, for you know as well. And so it's evolved, it's yeah. developed, um, yeah. and I think we're at a stage now where we are really feeling that we have a strong um, team. We have a we have a very solid core. To, to grow the business from and to lead the business forward. I'm really excited about the team we've got now, but it, you know, it, it's, it's an evolution. It doesn't stop just yeah. because you do it once. doesn't mean you, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And then, so that was, that's discipline one in our org health structure, you know, uh, building a cohesive leadership team. Talk about discipline two, which is creating clarity, answering the questions. Why do you exist? Why do you, or how do you behave? What is it that you do? Uh, how will you succeed? what's most important right now and who does what talk about the work that you did with that. Yeah. Okay. So we, th- I think the, um, the key with this was really for us, we started for the platform that we already had developed. We, you know, we had a, like a mission statement, so mm-hmm. to speak, um, which we, we felt really good about. And we had some core values that we also felt were, um, had we done a lot of work to develop. Oh, but you know, we're, we're probably, you know, we, once we started doing some more research on, we found that they, you know, they didn't help us create clarity. They sort of, were, some of the words weren't quite as clear as we thought they were. Um, and and whenever you have to put a definition behind a core value, you know that's not a good start. Um, so um, so we were able to start from, a, I think, a base that I felt pretty good with. Um, and a lot of the work was taking words out of statements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, our, you know, why do we exist um, was, you know, everybody in the room was like, okay, well, we think we, we here's our mission statement. We think this is fairly good, um, but it was, you know, it was a couple of sentences and it wasn't a statement per se. And so we were able to, you know, hack the words out of it and, and still hit the, hit a home run, I think, on on what we wanted people to believe and, and to, to believe in and, and what we want people to come to work for every day. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, I think that was part of that work was already done. Yeah. But the toughest part was defining it tightly and then keeping it really tight, a very, very yeah. tight definition. Um, and likewise with the core values. You know, the core values, we had a set of core values. We started asking questions about them. We found that, look, the definition, people's definition of some of those words wasn't the definition that we had. <laughs> so you know, my definition um, was was different than, than somebody else's. And yeah, well, if we have to define a, a value, a core value, so that you understand what it is, it 
probably isn't a core value. Um, yeah. Or, it, you know, it probably needs to be rewritten in some format that makes it easy for people to understand. So I think creating clarity is all about that. It's it, it's understanding that you can get uh, um, alignment and engagement behind these things, but people have to know exactly what they mean. And so wordsmithing these things is really important. And it's not it's something that shouldn't be taken lightly. That's great. One of the things that I remember working with you on too, that you know, and Keith was there, of course, was um, that first key influencers meeting that we had, and uh, and you mentioned this earlier, but how like talk about that um, and how important that was in getting the message out. You know, the idea that you're talking about people within the organization, but outside of the leadership team that have your back and believe in what the leaders are doing to run the organization. Yeah, that's a, that was a, that was a really important um, meeting. We set that up um, about a year in, I think it was yeah. probably at the end of our first year yeah. um, we wanted to get all of the leadership teams from all of the clubs together uh, in one room. So we pulled in all of our, so what we did is with it, with our leadership teams was we created the same leadership team that we had at the executive team level yeah. in every organization and every club in the organization. And so at the end of that year, we finally felt we had the cohesive teams set up in each club and at the executive level. And then also at the um, department levels that are in the corporate office. So we had those teams then built in marketing and we had leadership teams in um, IT and finance. And so we felt that we had a good way to cascade all the messages and the communication. We had it all structured the way we wanted it. And so getting them together enabled us to then say, okay, here's where we were. This is the path we've been on this year. This is what we did last year. This is why it wasn't working. This is, you know, and I, and, and the ability for, I think for a leader to be humble in front of his entire, you know, company's leadership team at the next level down is really important and you can you know, look you're in the you have the position of authority and power you can say what you want do what you want in some respects um but you you owe it to the people that are you're asking to run through walls for you to be authentic and to be humble and so um i was able to you know stand up in front of everybody and say look this is a better way forward for everyone, for the company, for you, for me, for everyone. And you know, I'm sorry it's taken me this long to realize it. Um, you know, I'm a slow study, but, but just but give me a chance. We're going to move this forward. That opportunity to then go around and talk to everybody, just privately, quietly, in breaks, sit at tables and listen to their conversations and listen, as, as we were trying to craft their messages and their battle plans and, and their... Um, you know, their, their direction forward. And here's what our purpose is. And here's what our core values are. And here's why it's important that we we re, that we performance manage on this, that we recruit on this, and that we terminate on this too. You know, these are our core values. This is important. We believe these are important. And if you don't believe these are important and you don't believe our purpose is important, then you're going to get really sick of hearing it from us and you'll probably want to go and look for something else because yeah. you, you I'm going to drive you mad the number of times I say this. Know, because the next part of this of the uh, of the four disciplines of a of a healthy organization is me becoming the chief repetition officer. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and that is a that is something that I take very seriously, um, and you know, it's something I've learned the hard way. That you you know, I I thought that everyone was following me, and I turned around. There's no one there because <laughs> I told them once that we're going in this direction, but that not enough. And I'm like, well, wait, where is everybody? I've learned the hard way. I've learned through failure that you yeah. just have to keep saying it over and over again. And, you know, we, I, I, every every presentation I make, every meeting I have, every, every meeting I drop into at the moment on Teams, you know, I, 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 if I don't mention the core purpose or our core values, shame on me. You know, because that's what, you know, people need to hear this is why we do it and this is how we do it. Yeah. Yeah. One, one thing, John, that stands out. So we, we encourage every leader we work with, like, hey, you know, you've got to own this. Nobody ever needed to tell you that. 
I remember after the after the first meeting that we were on with you, the first time we checked in with you after that first offsite, like you had already been out to, you know, a number of the clubs. You had already rolled this out, uh, and you know, long prior to when you had done this key influencers event, you know, you personally went to each of those clubs and you taught them the meeting model and you help the senior leader kind of whittle down what's the right executive team. So like that, you know, the, the idea that the, the leader of the organization needs to own this and to model it and talk about it. Um, one of my favorite lines that you shared with us, I would love to have you just comment on how you came up with this idea. But, you know, when it comes to the clarity, you, you said, yeah, I right away sat down and had to figure out I need an elevator version of this and I need a TED Talk version of this. Could, could you just expand on that? Because I think that's, I've, I've shared that idea with so many leaders. Yeah, it's a, um, I, you know, we, it comes from a, my sales background, I guess, you know, background in s- selling things. You know, if you, if I've got, if I've got 30 seconds of your time, I need to give you a succinct, you know, pitch on what I'm, you know, what I'm selling you, what you're buying, what I'm asking you to be, to, to buy into. And there are lots of conversations in, um, in, in the clubs or in the office where, you know, I, I'm not in a meeting with everybody. You know, I don't, you know, I don't have the um, time to give to every single meeting in every single department. But what I do do is I walk the halls or I walk the gym or I walk the basketball or the tennis courts and I pop into offices. I drop in on people. Um, and because I want people to, to, to see me, I want people to know me and I want them to know it's important to me. And so if I've got 30 seconds, I've got to get my message across. And it, it, and it really is about, you know, why we do things it really is our core purpose and our core values and that's you know that's a that's my that's my elevator pitch um and and then can i expand that to a ted talk you know 30 minutes i've got if i'm in a meeting um i get i get you know by dint of my position i get to take over the meeting sometimes and um and i got to use that wisely i've got to be able to say this is what we're doing this is our core purpose these are our core values this is why it's important and this is what my expectations are of you and how we're going to deliver this. And this is this should be your expectations of me as a leader as well. And so it works both ways. But you're building that level of vulnerability-based trust within those, in those conversations. Um, and you can't always build trust in 30 seconds, but you can, you can make a start as to why it's important. Um, and you can be humble. You can say, look, I, you know, I, I don't have all the answers. I, I'm, I'm figuring this out as well, you know. Um, I'm asking you to come along the ride with me, come on the journey with me and help me, you know, and, and help us all be better. Help me be better, help us be better. And I want to help you be better. And so that was really the concept was, you know, I get different time frames with people. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, John, you were, you were pretty honest earlier about like you're a premium brand, right? Your, your memberships aren't cheap. Um, I would also say, that you know, Keith and I should be honest. Like this work takes some investment, right? Like not only in just Keith and I coming out there and joining you, but also in, in terms of days with your leadership team all together. Um, so, talk to us about like what? How would you quantify the ROI or the impact of this work prior to to COVID? Like when when life was normal, what? How would you answer yeah. that? I think what it did is it enabled us to to get aligned behind key initiatives and key projects and get things done faster, mm-hmm. uh, move the business forward. Um, I mean, pre-COVID, we you know we were on a record year. We mm-hmm. were we were tracking um, you know our financial year um, historically. We just changed it actually because of COVID, but historically it was July uh, through June, July one through June thirty. Okay. Um, and so when this hit, we were, you know, we were literally two thirds of the way through the financial year, uh, and we were on track for a record year, as we had been the year before. Um, so, um, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to attribute everything to uh, the table group, but uh, yeah, certainly, but certainly, what it did was help us, um, help me, and help us look, really focus on the most important things. Now transition that to the time that you're in now during COVID. And I, I sometimes am like, 
do we bring up COVID now? Like, we're, are, are we tired of talking about it? Uh, yet, yeah. it's still affecting you folks big time. Oh, yeah. You know? Big time. So, so it was. So here's one of the the, the, the key learnings for us uh, of the, the benefits of the table group. For anyone who's listening who hasn't taken on uh, or haven't done anything about this, my, this is my one plug for you guys. So I'm going to give you a plug here. <laughs> All right. Is that it helped, we were able to navigate the shutdowns. We were shut down as a business in March. So first we got shut down in Montreal on a uh, on a Friday night. We got notified on Friday night that we weren't allowed to open on Saturday morning. Mm. So we got Friday at 6 o'clock. We got notification from Quebec, from the Minister of, uh, for Health in Quebec, um, that we weren't allowed to open on Saturday. Uh, and we were going to be shut down for at least uh, four weeks. Um, yeah, fast forward, we're still shut down. It's uh, now been nine months, nearly 10 months. Um, we um, That was followed by a Sunday press conference in New, in, in New York where Governor Cuomo shut down upstate New York, Rochester Club, on the Monday. So we, we literally, we were, you know, both times we were given sort of 12 to 24 hours notice um, with all of our you know, staff. We employ, you know, full-time and part-time around 2,000 staff um, across the company. Um, and then that started the whole roll-on effect. The Illinois clubs were next um, a couple of days later. And then it was, you know, we, we were proactive in, in closing down uh, Atlanta, uh, Georgia, and, um, and Florida. And so... Um, we, as an executive team, were meeting twice a day anyway. We'd, uh, we'd, we'd ramped up our, our meeting schedules during March because of COVID, because of the things we were seeing and hearing coming from overseas. And we already had that structure in place to make decisions. So we were talking a lot. We were having debate. We were discussing. There was a lot of heated uh, debate about should we or shouldn't we uh, close down? What do we do with staff? Do we furlough staff? Do we keep them on? How long can we keep them on for? What's the cash burn rate of that? How you know how much money have we got to survive and, and stay alive through this whatever long this period would be? Uh, and none of us knew, and you don't. You, there was no information. You know, there were a number of people in our industry that thought we'd be shut down for two weeks and we'd be back open again in two weeks' time. You know, we'd seen. You know, I, I had the be, the benefit I have of, of having worked in Europe and in, in Australasia is that I have a lot of contacts over there. Um, and Europe and Asia were getting hit hard, and we're closed, closing clubs down and closing businesses down for you know four, six, eight weeks, twelve weeks. You know, so we made the um, we were able to throw that into our into our decision making process. Um, you know, we were we were set up pretty well for. Uh, the discussion, the debate, the the conflict. Uh, we'd already established vulnerability-based trust. We, you know, we knew we could throw sticks and stones at each other, and 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 we wouldn't take it personally. We were trying to find the right truth and the right answer, um, and so we were able to um, come to decisions um, and move quickly on that and communicate effectively. We already had the cascade, we had the structures in place that we'd put in place the year before uh, at all the clubs with all of the. Um, leadership teams that we were able to communicate the, the, the decision and the why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, John, you've been great and uh, really appreciate your time. And uh, you know, I, I love the, how you brought in uh, you know, how we talked about you building your team and creating clarity over communicating that with the key influencers and, and throughout the organization and you calling yourself the chief reminding officer and then reinforcing it in your human systems you mentioned um, and the impact it's had on, on you folks and uh, and then the impact it's had even now during COVID when clearly some some tough times in, in your industry for sure. Yeah, I think you know, for, for sure it's it's been difficult. But I think the other side of this is, you know, we have the structure now. We had a we had our offsite last week, um, um, January, and and we are we have built out new battle plans. We've recommitted for the next twelve months or nine months, and uh, we believe there's going to be an uptick in our industry, um, and we believe it's going to hit uh, be positive um, in the back end of this year. I, I think it'll probably be post summer when we start to see a real swing as people take want to take. Um, you know, care of themselves and their health and their well-being, and and we're we're excited to be on the front line of that. And we're just preparing for it, and we have the structure to do it. 
Awesome. Well, hey, we wish you all the best of luck. You know, we we admire your leadership and all the things you're doing there at Midtown, and we hope 2021 ends up being way better than 2020. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm anticipating it to be a lot better as well, and uh, and look forward to seeing you guys again soon and catch up soon. All right. Thanks so much for your time, John. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Thank you. All right. All right. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Org Health Advantage. Your hosts, Keith and James, are helping leaders change the world of work and invite you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. For more resources on building stronger teams and organizational health, check out tablegroup.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.